Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroesfilm.com to get tickets now. You're listening to Comedy Central. Your eyes are down. Dang. Why? Now firing. Huh? Oh. Netflix has laid off 150 employees, but most of these employees were working and creating and promoting projects that focused on marginalized communities. Really? They fired all the minorities and, and the gay the people. Asians and the Latinos. Oh no! I said all the minorities yes. and the gay people. That, that's about <laughs> co- yeah. That's all of us. It is clear that Netflix is able to avoid the discrimination complaints and allegations because so much of their workforce is diverse. That's why I did what I did right here. Third, you got Jacqueline, she black. Mm. You got you got you, you black. We got down south Georgia girl. We got a guy. We got an array of people, all with different sexual orientations. Even Rod, I support huh? alcoholics. Oh. <laughs> I don't discriminate against nobody. All we need to make this staff complete is an Asian and a white woman. You're right, actually. No, seriously, you are absolutely correct. That's all we need. That's all we need. We need an Asian and a white woman, and I'm gonna be fully mm. protected. You can't solicit like that. That's fair. Too late. I already did. Stop. <laughs> Why not? He just put it out there. My name is Roy. This is my job fair. Why? Gay Pride. That's the theme this week. We're going to be talking to members of the LGBTQIA plus community and talking about their journey through this world of oppression and hatred and getting laid off and getting hated on. And mm-hmm. we're going to speak with a person who is leading that diversity charge and making sure that these companies are doing the right thing and doing right by their community. Uh, we're going to speak with the homie Danny Fernandez. Yay! You know, just their journey through everything. The homie, big comedian, you know, Samson is going to be oh. on as well. Yay. And we're going to celebrate We're going to celebrate this community. I myself am not a member of this community. I did date a bisexual twice, though. I did this. Really? So I am a supporter. I have Ooh. supported the community. Ooh. Through my money and occasional orgasms. You know, so, okay, I've wait. Been, uh, how does that come up in a conversation? Like, are you. You gotta go on a date to a strip club and see how she moves. Huh? 
See, nah. I like, nah, man. Y'all know y'all was at Arby's. You know, sitting there eating the beef and cheddar. Go, and then the same beef. big booty girl walked by. The same, look, the same. <laughs> y'all was sitting there eating. And then the, the, some, some shorty walked by and y'all both stopped eating and looked up at the same time. And then it was like, oh. Mm-mm, that ain't what happened, Ralph. <laughs> no. you, you know, Arby's, you get a roast beef sandwich from Arby's. If you look at it from the right angle, the way that roast beef be hanging out the bun, you know what that looked like. Don't, don't answer. Don't tell me. You did not take a woman on a date to a strip club. I have. I have gone on dates to strip clubs before. Not like a okay. first date, JG. Goodness gracious. Okay. Like second or third or whatever. But, you know, you start talking about what you're into, what you like. As you start, once you once you cross the, hey, what makes you bust a nut uh-huh. conversation as a couple, it may come up. Yeah, sometimes I used to be in the girls, or I used yeah. to go, oh, well, are you still? There it is. And then there's also women now, because it's such a general part of the conversation now. Women, Some women will just tell you. Sometimes I date women, but I like you. Point so, blank. You know, what's up on that meat? Right, you better okay. roll with it while you can, right. Run the you meat. You want to come play with my beef Run and cheddar or not? Meat. What's up? Y'all not going to keep beef and cheddars out of this. <laughs> mm. Life is about beef I and cheddars. Have, Jacqueline, life is I will about say that my relationship with with the gay community and the LGBTQ community was fairly limited growing up in Birmingham. I will say that, and this is why I'm excited that we're going to have comedian Sampson on a little later to talk about how homophobic black comedy, the roots of black comedy were and how he made moves through that time, you know. Gay was always something bad that you shouldn't be. So for all I know, I was around gay people the whole time growing up in the 80s and 90s, and they just kept that shit quiet. I had a roommate uh, who's passed on, bless his soul, Trinity Murdoch. And Trinity was a good, good damn dude. But everybody didn't know if Trinity was gay or not and denied it of being roommates with him and had a conversation about it. But oh. if it were not for Trinity, I would not know about Elin Harris. If, um, who really? is an amazingly excellent writer. Um, uh-huh. I would not have known about um, some of the gay men's choir music that I was turned on to because it was, it's just really good music. But in my mind, you know, why am I listening to something gay? I definitely would say that uh, Trinity, Trinity definitely helped open my mind between that and um, later on, I was the only straight dude working at a gay bookstore in D.C., so both ways had a lot to do with changing how it's, I It's I about a having a direct interaction with members of a community to change how you perceive them. And so much yes. of the ignorance that I believe that comes from our society is straight up from people not even being knowing that they were around someone. But if you are gay and you are in that community, yeah. how quick are you to come out when you're dealing with murder and abuse and being misgendered? It, like, it's bullshit, so many yeah. different yeah. minefields for you to navigate being in that community that we can't necessarily put all of the onus on you to be the educator to help fix the problem. It takes indecent podcasts like this. We change the world sometimes, Jacqueline. True. We just compared an Arby sandwich to a vulva. Yes, Jacqueline. Indecent. Yes. (laughs) It was well done. We are not. Well done. When you're doing comedy, especially starting out with stand-up, like at least I can't speak for everybody, but for me, the first couple of gigs that I got paid for, paid for, were working gay rooms. Like the gay rooms were amazing in D.C. And, you know, there were a lot of guys who wouldn't do them because like the homophobic shit is real. But I never had a problem once because I've always felt, and I hope I'm right, but the cool thing to me about 
gay men specifically is if you aren't gay, they ain't coming at you like that. Mm-hmm. Like they ain't got plenty of other people to talk to. They ain't coming at you like that. So it's always funny to me when you around certain certain straight guys who get offended <laughs> and upset because the gay dude didn't hit on them. And it's like, but is that what you thought was gonna happen? They ain't, they ain't here for that. There's a whole room full of other dudes that they are already in line with. They don't Black need people you. treat gay like COVID. And a lot of times <laughs> dudes don't get, get, get it. Get gay. Oh. Yeah, no, true, true, don't true, true. I can't even eat wings in a gay place. There might be gay wings. I don't want to do that. Like, it's just, I've, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. But I'd be the first to tell anybody, man, like, I would not be who I am. I would not be living in this life if it weren't up for my LGBTQIA folks who've taken care of me when I didn't have family there. I wouldn't be who I am if it weren't up for the LGBTQIA. Fuck it, the gay folks in my life. Shout out Mark Few. So many people I could talk about. Uh, that wouldn't make me who I am if it wasn't for that shit, man. I love my gay folks, man. So, Walmart had an ice cream that... Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh-huh. They, they had two, though. They had two. They had one. They have an ice cream dedicated to Pride Month. This year, they created an ice cream dedicated to Juneteenth. Now, oh, nah. I, I get it on the surface. Hey, it's your thing, right? Here's some nigger treats. Don't you want Negro treats? That's not how they marketed it. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it is how they talked about it in the boardroom. So, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I want to make this perfectly clear before I before I spill this out for you and the listeners. I was making a mm. joke, and I made a joke about the Juneteenth ice cream. The next day, okay, Walmart announced that they're removing the Juneteenth ice cream due to Twitter outrage led by me, Roy Wood Jr. <laughs> Washington Post had Legend an article. Legend shit. AL.com had an Legend. article. Oh. I was all over the Legend internet shit. as the face of the anti-Juneteenth ice cream movement. From a, It was a joke. I was cracking a joke. But I, I understand. The Nat Turner of snack, snack Turner. food. People call me yes. Snack Turner on TikTok. <laughs> snack now, Turner! There were a lot of people who were legitimately upset. I don't need to be upset because I have Mm -hmm. the weapon of humor. So I can use humor to add something else to the conversation. And that's all I was trying to do. Walmart executives, if you're listening, please don't put me on the no-fly list. Uh, Just don't. Don't make me shop at Kmart the rest of my life. There's only one left, so. There, right? So. But it's Walmart even trying to do the right thing. Walmart gets something out of this as well. You think about them just pulling things off their shelves. There's still publicity around it. There are some people who just ran in there to buy the ice cream just to buy it, to say that they have it. And they trademarked this thing. It was deeper than the ice cream too, JG. I wasn't trying to cut you, I'm sorry. It's deeper than the ice cream because they also had the napkins, uh, which which I found extremely hilarious because it said on the napkin, it's about the freedom for me. It's the freedom for me. Like, for real, it's the freedom for me. What the fuck? But I think that it's important for somebody to go in there and be able to tell these cats who are extremely tone deaf, hey, look, mm, there may be another way to do this. The only good thing to come out of this for me is that it's been brought to my attention that there is a black-owned ice cream brand with the same flavors as what Walmart did for the Juneteenth ice cream that they put out. It was basically a bootleg version of a brand called Creamalicious. Go to SoCreamalicious.com. So, for already having that black ice cream ready on deck, 
Because you knew somebody was going to get caught slacking, trying to copycat you, but you was right there to make all that bread, and they have been sold out ever since Walmart oh, pulled great. the ice cream for that. What? Chef Liz Rogers. <gasps> yes. You are Cody's most outstanding employee of the week. Congratulations, Liz. Congratulations. Congratulations. So mm -hmm. is the website. This is the blackest ice cream thing I've ever seen. Listen to the flavors. Arpoonies caramel pound cake. Arpoonies caramel pound cake. Oh. Slap your mama banana pudding. Right as rain vel red velvet cheesecake. Thick yeah. as thieves pecan mm. pie. Come on. Porch man. light peach cobbler. Let Ooh. me say that again. Porch light peach that cobbler. Sounds so you got good. to come home, peach cobbler. Ooh. Grandma Gigi yeah. sweet potato pie. Oh, Uncle God. Charles brown sugar bourbon cake. Oh, Uncle Charles Uncle is brown yes. sugar, y'all. And then coming soon. Oh, that's my favorite flavor right there. Coming Wait. soon. Strawberry fixing to crunch cake. Mm. Oh, it's more. Ida Mays co apple cobbler. Peace and yes. quiet cake. Mm. <laughs> what you know about that? Oh, wow. And baby, listen. White chocolate blondie. Again, baby, listen. That sounds delicious. White chocolate blondie. I know I'm ordering <laughs> ice cream. cream malicious. Congratulations. Worst from first time. And it is my pleasure as we kick off this Pride Week. JG, who do we have joining the two-time club now? We welcome back to the show multi-multi-hyphenate Danny Fernandez. And today she's going to talk with us about another memorable job experience. And she's going to stick around to talk to Rod, who she describes as someone who is, quote, says wild shit, but is still a gentleman, end quote. I guess Bars. I'd prefer to call him <laughs> the pothole oh. on the road to success. My friend Danny Fernandez, writer, actress, television producer, yes. content creator. How do I wish like because you know what I feel like during Pride Week third? Mm. I feel like white people on Juneteenth. I don't know what to right. say. Right, you don't know. Right, you never know. I don't you, know right. what the fuck to do. Okay. I'm trying right. to keep my job, but I'm trying to let handshake? you know I care. Right. What to say? What is, can... what is the most mm. concise way for a straight person to go over mm. to their gay coworker and go, hey, it's your thing this week, right? <laughs> way to go. Yeah, I would just say happy pride. That's my, okay. my go-to. Okay. If you so want to send them money, you can. <laughs> congratulations. Um, Congratulations on your week. Don't, <laughs> no, you you can no. you. I mean, I don't. I don't. I feel like Venmo is great too. You know, mm. who doesn't love money? So okay, Danny. Oh, just directly to a person in your community, not like I like to a, a charity or group, a nonprofit, or just hey, you gay, right? He's forty dollars. You know both. We all have student loans. We all could use. <laughs> <laughs> amongst us doesn't okay okay so this worst job uh yes. walk us through it because you've you've worked with a lot of assholes here's a better question is this job from pre-entertainment days mm. when you were still in texas or is this once you were into the belly of the beast in hollywood this was me in the belly of the beast Okay. This was my first right. writer's assistant job. Ooh. I've since gone on to write for for multiple TV shows, but this was back when I was a, a little one. I was a wee one. Uh -huh. And uh, 
I guess I can't say the show. I don't know. I feel like I should be smart here. <laughs> but yeah. it was uh, at a certain channel. I will say that. And so it was my it was my first writer assistant job. So I was not. I was an assistant to the writers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only was I the only woman in the room, I was the only person of color in the room as well. Mm. So you can tell that that was a great experience. And they brought me on because essentially they had written all of the scripts in Google Docs, which is like not something you do when you're shooting television. <laughs> at all. And at all. Yeah. So our they brought me on to very quickly within a matter of a day or two copy and paste oh, no. all of these scripts into final draft mm-hmm. which any writer which is listening the official to this script writing software yes. yeah yeah that's what we use that's that's official script writing software you can use other shit but um, you just look poor and for for a layman who hasn't used that <laughs> it's the equivalent would be taking something written in notes in the yeah. notes app and formatting yeah. it in microsoft word yeah, it's basically like if you're tr- if you wrote a bunch of notes in your notes app and gave that to a director to shoot. The thing was is the quick turnaround that they wanted mm-hmm. me to do. And this was also my first time in a writers room. Mm. And so I'm working my ass off. Like I'm I'm there. I have like my I basically live there. I have like my toothpaste, my toothbrush, my medicine. I'm like working 24/7 trying to tr- mm. flip these scripts uh-huh. to get it to them so that they can go and shoot. So we mm-hmm. have one day we were doing a table read and for people not in the business, that's where they, they print out all the scripts, the actors sit around a table with the executives, with the writers, and everyone reads the words out loud to hear what it sounds like, to hear where it's funny, where we need punch up, whatever. So we have this table read happening at 5 p.m. Uh, on another part of town. I am scrambling to put in, to copy and paste, and it's like changing action to dialogue. It's changing people's names. It's typos all over the place. And I can just hear the director in there being, well, that's why we hired her. That's why, (laughs) you know, like it's my fault. Excuse me? Uh, Exactly. And so we, by the grace of God, get these scripts where punching holes in them where, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. we get them, I stuff them into my backpack. I drive over to where the executives are, where these actors are, and another big, I feel like I shouldn't say his name, so I'm not going to say it. But anyway, big people are in there. And I'm really proud of myself because it's 5 p.m. and I did it mm-hmm. and we got them there. We got all the scripts over there by the grace of God and my copy and paste abilities and final draft. And I'm handing them out and all of a sudden I hear, ew, what is this? And all of the executives have white goo all over their hands. Oh, no. Because... I was basically living there. My toothpaste exploded in my backpack. Oh, Danny. All over the scripts. Not only was it on the scripts, it was on their hands because they had already started flipping through it. And so they basically dump those. And someone just like pulls up an iPad and they just read it as they probably should have done to begin Uh with. (laughs) i when i tell you so you can't take it to a copier because it'll mess up the fucking 
scan. Oh, when I I wanted to sink, and again, like there's so many things that went wrong with when I was brought in. Mm-hmm. That this is not my fault. If this happened to another intern or young person, I would say that the way that they were rushing me was not my fault. But also maybe they deserved it. I don't know. Maybe they deserve to have my I disgusting toothpaste all yeah. over the, my DNA all over there. About to say you need to be happy with just toothpaste. There's so many <laughs> other things. It could have been so much worse. Right? Okay. So <laughs> But it was uh it was a nightmare and I have that story. It was also a comedy room. You think people would not be so uptight? Mm-hmm. But they oh, I have no. found Roy, I'm sure you have seen in television, even if you're working on a comedy show, the executives on your show are not very comedic people, so. Never. So, (laughs) representation of queerness in entertainment is part of how we normalize and destigmatize a lot of things we don't understand. Do you feel the level of pressure and responsibility with you being entrusted to tell the story of two queer characters for... A company, DC, you know, when you look at, like, I I feel like you know the gravity of what you are about to do, but you don't think about it because it's all about the next step and the next thing and the next thing. But this idea of taking two iconic characters for a comic book company that is always looking for IP to walk into the big screen, mm-hmm. what do you hope to accomplish? What, what is... Paint me the best case scenario for the story that you're trying to tell and the influence you're trying to do with this Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy story. Are they dating each other or like what can you tell us about it off the top? Like, are they going out and committing crimes together? Is it just the women's doing shit in this? It's very sexy. Yeah, they are. uh, They are on a date. I can't say too much because I don't want to give it away, but it is very sexy. And, you know, there is a Harley Quinn animated show heavily recommended on HBO. Oh, yeah. Writing is Rod told me about it and said Batman was eating a coochie on the roof while crime (laughs) was happening. As he should. He has a mask literally made for eating you out. I do want (laughs) to say that. I mean. Are you aware of the potential influence or the pending influence of what you're about to write and what it could, you know, do for representation in your community. I just want to be able to tell stories and I want to be able to be messy and I don't want I don't want to represent all of us actually. I don't I can't. I cannot represent mm. all of us. I cannot have all of our experiences and I don't want to. And I think mm. I think setting up a lot of us it's something that a lot of us creatives Uh, deal with is that we're expected to represent everyone in Mm -hmm. our community and we just can't and I don't feel that white creators are asked the same thing they're not asked to like you know I don't know I guess friends did represent all white people but (laughs) 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 But, but, (laughs) no they didn't because they didn't they were only represented um what am I gonna say like probably uh what are they gen gen x uh rich Rich, because you have to there have money go, to live to live in that. Even though they didn't seem like they did, because they had roommates, you ha- you have to have money to live in that type of New York high rise. Anyways, I feel like we're often expected to speak for all of us, mm-hmm. and I I don't want to. And I also want to have characters that are messy, that are without it being a political statement. I just want to be able to have fun, and I want to be able to dance and play in sci-fi and yeah. horror. And I don't need every story that I write to be about immigration mm-hmm. or my parents being deported or whatever. Like I just, nice. 
I, those stories exist for a reason. I think it's a lot asking all of us to write stories like that. And so I just want to be able to be given the range that everyone else, that white and straight creators get to have. I, I, I want to be afforded that range. So Danny, if well, you're not given that opportunity that everyone else, those white creators are given, tell us how in this particular industry you take those opportunities or make those opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky as an actress that I can write, that I'm also a TV writer. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a, that's how I broke into this business. And we really do, though, my friends and I look out for each other. Mm -hmm. I know that everybody wants to reach up, like everybody wants to be friends with the person at the top. Um, and that person has friends that came up with them. You know, everyone wants to be friends with like Jordan Peele and like, he's amazing, but like, I'm sure he's looking out for his own friends that came, that were in the trenches with him. <clears throat> so you, you need to, your friends who are in your, what we call like your graduating class or your comedy class or whatever, those are the people that are gonna be moving up the ladder with you. And when one of them gets, let's say a writer's assistant job where they accidentally get toothpaste all over everyone's <laughs> scripts. <laughs> they're looking for an actor for that show you're gonna put their name in you know or you graduate then you're gonna bring your friend on and like so my friends and I we were poor we were scarily poor we were we were it just the worst kind of it just felt like a pit that we couldn't get out mm -hmm. of and yet we did mm -hmm. and and now we're all writing tv we're on tv like but we didn't start up here and so that, so it really is reaching out. It's like the people that are all alongside you. I know that that's hard to believe, but you put in the work year after year, yes. you look out for each other. And those, that's how, that's how a lot of us break in. Relationships. Is each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, first off, Danny, where can everybody find you online? Let's, let's start Please. there. And then we'll. Yes, I'm please. I'm at Ms. Dan right. <laughs> I'm at Ms. Danny Fernandez, M-S-D-A-N-I-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. And, um, Third was saying that my Instagram is on fire, and I agree. So please follow it. I have dope photo shoots. I do a lot of great work. Please follow me. I love it. We need to. She needs more me. likes. Do what she said. <laughs> follow Danny. I think you're a wonderful Danny. friend, and I cannot wait to read your comic book, and I cannot wait to see the big screen adaptation of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy scissoring each other on the roofs. Thank you. <laughs> I hope that there's a scissoring scene. Respectfully. 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 After the break, the homie Narado, a.k.a. Rod for short, will uh, drive this show off the rails. It is Pride Week. Job fair. We'll be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Pride Week, job fair. One act down, two to go. Still haven't been canceled. How we doing, JG? We're doing all right. Am I handling Pride Week appropriately by just creating space for members of that community and not taking up space for them? I think that's beautiful. And I think everyone should okay. follow Danny's advice as well to retweet, to share, and to follow her, of course. And to give random gay people in your life money. That's what Danny said. Right? <laughs> Danny said, randomly send money to your gay <laughs> friends with no explanation. Even the ones who you're afraid of just, that might cuss you out, just send them $5 for being gay and be ready to send them a Venmo right and then the part where it asks for services rendered just put gay, gay. Oh, wait a minute just no don't do they that see let me stop talking some states but go ahead there's a law but go ahead so Danny is a listener of the show she is my friend but she actually is a listener of the show so she knows what's about to happen right now this is the part of the program you hear that music change well, we bring on a man whose job it is to give you topics to break the ice with co-workers of the opposite race. And now, sometime last year, someone asked, why does Rod only talk about black and white stories, stories for black people, white people? And I go, well, you got to talk about what you got experience in. And we've never wanted this segment to be something that represents, you know, points of view and perspectives that Rod can't honestly give insight on. We talked about him doing some stories for Pride Week. I said, Rod, I'm with it. You want to talk about Pride Week, even though you're not a member of that community? So, Danny Fernandez, I'm going to need you to stay on board here today for this segment here with Rod and make sure that we don't get canceled. I want you to consider yourself our in-show legal counsel as we navigate navigate stories about Pride Week that you can bring up to your co-workers. Rod... I'm nervous, but yet again, I welcome you back on this program. How you doing today, brother? What's up? Happy, happy Pride Week, Pride Month. Shout out to all the LGBTQIA plus people out there listening. Let's have a good time. I feel like I'm going to get canceled from my own community. Just from okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to remove no. the bee. The bee's going to get taken out. We got another guest standing by, so I turn it over to you, Rod, and give these folks some topics they can bring up at the job, you know, for Pride Week. I think right now, one of the biggest things that would probably touch most people's lives when it comes to Pride Week is that recently at Coachella, the rapper Isaiah Rashad, made his first public statements about a, a sex tape scandal of his from February. When what a wonderful rapper that brother is. Keep that going. dude is yeah, he's he's really good. He's really awesome. And uh, in February, somebody released a tape of him having sex with two men in an effort to out him and embarrass him. And he caught a lot of flack from a lot of people in the hip-hop community and a lot of fans 
but it received a lot of support also. And during his set at Coachella, uh, he ran a video montage off the top of people talking a lot of shit about him. And then he came out and performed and he cried and he talked about how uh, the support, he saw all the negative stuff, but he also saw all the positive stuff and the positive stuff yeah. kept him alive the last that's couple good. months. And I think that's, and that's beautiful. His streams went up too as a result of that. And he's a brother that in a lot of interviews in his past albums has talked about depression and, yeah, and therapy. And, but he never yeah. talked about uh, his sexuality. So this was I'm about to say, I had never heard him talk anything about that. Yeah, he talked about his depression and addiction, and but he never talked about his sexuality. So that's the reason somebody was able to try to out him and, and, and get him a lot of negative shit going on. But it backfired. And yeah, his streams did go up. And so that's a wonderful thing, man. We need more people like him and his supporters in hip hop because hip hop is one of the last barriers of entertainment that is running rampant with homophobia and dude it's so wild you say that I was just thinking there was a time when the rumor of you being gay in hip hop for a minute man like I don't even want to start saying the dude's names because I'm from that generation where said rappers will still show up and beat you up on, on those type of grounds but you know. Yeah, which is just still in and of itself, your response to being accused is also homophobic in a way. Agreed. Danny, do you have you ever had a sex tape accidentally leak or anything? What? Like, oh my so, god! Everybody's watching out for uh, me. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Hello there, lovely guest. Any sex tapes dropping? No. Any sex tapes in the cloud? Why are you trying to investigate this? I know. What? Have any of you, I'm just asking because there is a voyeur, there's something that in recording yourself having sex or doing something sexual, it adds to the experience. I'll say two things. One, um, I just wanted to comment or like being, being outed like that is, is super, is super traumatic. Like it, 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 it the way that he was outed is it, it happens often and it's traumatizing and can be really dangerous. And I'm glad that he got so much love. Of course he got so much love from, from the community and hopefully from a lot of straight allies as well. And two, Roy, if you get a pic of my tits, my face is never in it. I'm not oh. dumb enough to, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I've seen too many starlets, too many Hollywood starlets. Um, why, third, why'd you make that face? You have to know my tits really well. I have great tits. Mm -hmm. My friends will tell you because they, they, I'm, and I'm in a lewds. Why are you laughing? <laughs> That's the thing. We send each other pics of our tits. I mean, who else, who else deserves them? Um, and so if I, if I ever send pics of my tits, we'll that my Jack face. We'll come back no. to <laughs> Mm. Keep going, yeah, down. Go friends and friends tits. Sorry. That's what she said. Roy. Friends right. do. Friends and friends, friends tits. They do. Roy, don't you ever send me your tits, right? Don't you send me yours either. I'm sending them right now, I, big dog. Thank you, bro. Thank you. I had a sex tape in college. You what? And it was on VHS. Y'all had the shoulder, y'all had the shoulder. Real shit, real shit. Panasonic JVC VHSC tape. Oh, stop. The, cam, yeah. the hand cord, them little freak me, the hand, the handy cam, like it's on the handy cam. I call watching your old sex tapes ESPN classic. 
<laughs> so we make this tape and it sits around the house and I keep in mind I have two roommates and it sits around the house for a couple weeks and I have a stand-up gig and I'm out of high eight cassettes to record on so I record my comedy set over our sex tape bring the camera back leave it back in the room whatever whatever and while I'm at work one day a conversation the story as it was told to me a conversation amongst my roommates was like yeah Roy does comedy bullshit Roy ain't funny no trust me he do comedy motherfucker his camera upstairs let's watch one of his tapes oh shit and my roommates went upstairs and they got my Sony Handycam and they put the AV inputs into the fucking TV downstairs and they watched my comedy set from wherever the fuck I performed and then at the end of my comedy set them little static lines get <laughs> cut to me just eating tacos <laughs> on a 40 inch Sony Trinitron I come home from work not knowing what the fuck is going on and they're just laughing and laughing and, and I had to tell my girl at the time that she cannot come around anymore because they saw See. her butt booty naked moaning my name oh my right so Danny this woman that I used to date years ago and during the time where things were cool I was coming out the shower one day. I was butt naked. She took a picture of me on salt. Woo! Oh, violation. 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 <laughs> Rod. And I went, what you doing? She just goes, oh, you just you just look so good. I was like, yeah, but I'm on salt. I don't, why would you do that? And she just like, oh, it ain't nothing. And I couldn't make a big deal out of it because you have to accept what she said at face value. Since that time, we've broken up. Um, and this is, what is the tactful way to contact a woman out the blue and be like, hey, you still ain't got that picture of me on soft for a body. You just want to make sure it's what not is, on eBay? Before, I mean, it would have popped up by now. Yeah, I feel like you're at a level. You're at I a don't level. know. She might, be, she might be waiting for me to get bigger. She's, it might be like Bitcoin. She's waiting for that Emmy. What pose were you in though? Like you had just got the shower, but like, take take us there though. Like what's, like were you like hitting the small of your back with the towel? (laughs) No, I was just like you were holding holding the deodorant and got the surprise face going with no clothes. So you have half in the tub and half out. (laughs) No, like I was walking out butt naked out the bathroom. You know, you ever seen them pictures of Bigfoot where he's like in stride? That's how I Patterson Gimlin Bigfoot. As you can imagine, Gimlin Bigfoot is just Okay, I want to say I'm not for taking pictures non-consensually. Like, I feel you ha- it has to be consensual. And two, yeah, for sure. You can say, like, hey, can you delete this, this picture of me? Can you? I just want to. I feel like, though, honestly, Roy, at this point, it seems like a bigger... That almost is a bigger thing, you writing this person you haven't spoken to in years. Um, Cause then they'll remember, oh shit, I do have a pic of his dick. Okay. <laughs> Deep into Dropbox. <laughs> I'm hoping they I'm hoping they found Jesus and I, you know, and to that person, if you're listening now, I'm a change man, I'm a father. 
You know, you gotta, you can't do this to me. How long Please. ago was this? Like, was that picture taken without a, like a Motorola Razor or some wow. shit? Wow. Like, mm. yeah, <laughs> Nokia 8950. Yeah, the egg phone. <laughs> it was at least four megapixels. Even if they put it out there, don't let them shame you, boy. Don't let them. It was like iPhone 5. <laughs> The only thing you can do, if a picture of you on soft leaks, the only thing you can do is counter with a picture of you on leaks. Like, I'm about you to say, hey like, man, don't you disrespect control yourself. Control the narrative. Don't you disrespect yourself by saying four megapixels. You tell them it was at least 12 yeah. off the grip. Three, three quarters, you gotta go three quarters. You know? like, that, hard, like hard enough to be st- like standing up off the balls, but not up. I got you. Not fully up. <laughs> <laughs> No, Gonzo knows from the Muppets. Hang it out. I feel like if it's a Motorola, like you can just be like that. No, that's a sim. That's a. It'll be so pixelated. (laughs) Yeah, that picture's old enough. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's not me. That's that's from the era when you zoom in on a picture and it get blurry or not like clearer. So Mm. you good. It's an old my. It's an old MySpace profile. You'll be fine. His (laughs) podcast is Uncle Rod Story Corner. Rod. Thank you, as always, for coming on the program. And Danny Fernandez, thank you for swinging back onto the job fair. You are wonderful. This was fun. Danny, you should come on Uncle Rod's Story Corner. Oh, yeah. I'm down. All right. I'm going to go put my nuts in the group chat. Bless up. For pride. Not our group chat. (laughs) Lock his ass real quick. Let me find Rod's LinkedIn right now. (laughs) Damn it, a week time. Thank you as always, Rod. Thank you, Danny Fernandez, for hanging around a little longer than you had to. Now, I like coffee, JG. I enjoy coffee. I'm very interested to hear what scams uh, this brother is bringing us today from his days at Starbucks. I know he's a hilarious stand-up comedian now, but we ain't always what we are. We used to be something else. JG, who's on the line? We have Samson, Samson McCormick, and he is a popular, award-winning stand-up comedian. He's a writer, he's an activist, and he's a filmmaker. And I think I'm going to add the category eventually. He's going to be my friend because we're going to talk skincare. That's all right. You always, we're going to do Jacqueline's skin fair sooner or later. Samson, welcome aboard the job fair. Where are you from originally? I'm from D.C. Southeast. 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 And I got to say, it's nowhere in the world like Southeast uh, D.C. Hmm. Nowhere. Let them know, young. Let's start serious and then we can backtrack into Starbucks and all that shit. Here's a question that I'm just going to straight up ask, but because it's Pride Week, Samson, I want to know this because you started comedy at a time where I would argue that as a black gay man, it wasn't as, oh, yeah, that's a gay dude. Let's just hear what he's talking about, where I feel like so when I started comedy in 98, if you were black and gay, you either had to lean into a caricaturized, that's not a word, version of yourself <laughs> When you when you started doing comedy as a black gay man, was that something that you kept on the low and didn't really discuss and talk about on stage? Or did you come through uh, the black comedy circuit at a time where you could literally just be open and be yourself and it not be of detriment? Because I know in the 90s, if you were black and gay, you coming on stage with two strikes against you off the rip. 
because they want to hate you because of the embedded homophobia within the black community, which we really don't discuss and talk about too, too much because, you know, we love Jesus. But was your identity on stage as open and honest as it was off stage when you first started doing stand up? So I would say that I was more open and honest on stage than I was off stage. And and reason being is is that because I started doing comedy in 2001 at uh, Teddy's House of Comedy. So we had like a lot of deaf comedy jam comedians would come through. Uh, Teddy Carpenter is a deaf comedy jam legend. They would be hosting, you know, black comedians. They're going to do a half hour special in between every comedian. And easy one. They would get up there and they would roast me. They would be like, man, you know, you ain't we may be able to get into this. But for the first maybe year of me doing comedy, I would get up and I would talk about all this pussy that I was getting. And, you know, yes, you did. That's what that's what you're supposed to do in front of a black audience. I would hear everybody else doing it because I was Mm -hmm. 16. So I was like, all right, well, let me let me talk about Mm -hmm. that. And uh, that's when the audience would. You know, the audience would be kind of with me when I would talk about crackheads and stuff. Then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I get a lot of pussy. And I would go into how I do it, <laughs> you know, and they would be like, that don't sound right. It didn't hit right. It, it, didn't, it didn't hit right. It, you have to be honest with a black audience. The authenticity has to be there. Absolutely. And and so Skiba and both Teddy Carpenter uh, would get on stage and be like, now you know if somebody pulled a dick out on you in the alley, you're going to put your mouth on it. I mean, they would just say all kinds of wow. Oh, yeah. And I would be in the back. Oh, yeah. Terrified. You know the audience is laughing. I already know what's happening with the audience. Knowing what we know now about bullying and homophobia and the way that people are forced back into the closet for fear of not being accepted, how are you able to get past that? To like, like, why the fuck go back to that club the next week, bro? Oh, because and get on stage again. Well, number one, because I, I just believe in myself that much. That was why I went back. Yes. Um, Amen. You know, I Amen. knew that I was funny because I was like, okay, so these people were laughing up until this point. I can get them to laugh at that too. And then when, when Skiba and Teddy Carpenter and them would pull me aside and they'd be like, we know who you are. Fuck these people. You know, I don't, I don't, or they would, you mm-hmm. know, somebody always has a cousin nice. who died of AIDS or something. Mm-hmm. My cousin died of AIDS and I want you to live a happy life. So get up there and be you, you know, and that's when I started. And, and of course the audiences would be very hostile. I've had people, especially back in those days, get up and flip tables over and walk out. Wait for you in the park. Just because a gay man is on stage telling jokes. I mean, if I may, you know, Samson and and, and Roy and JJG knows this, but I have to, what's the word they say in terms of full disclosure? Shit, Samson, I just almost cried, bro. I've known you since you were damn near 19 years old. Wow. And and I remember, I remember being in those rooms and watching him. If it if it went, I was the only straight dude performing in gay rooms because back then, you know, like it was the, it was a real weird crossover. But I guess all that to say, I'd like to think that the main reason that Samson kept going and and what used to always impress me about Samson, we always knew Samson was gay. But Samson would whoop your ass. Like I saw Samson on many of them nights when he would talk about some against pussy and somebody would be like that shit won't funny. He's like I'll take yours. Yeah. And they said you know this little scrappy ass kid from Southeast. I mean he didn't take no shit. And I mean I, and I think that's important to say too. Like I think. I think what's always been brave about you, Samson, what's always been brave about you, man, you've never taken shit. I've never seen anybody di- like 
even when somebody's gotten you down, you never let anybody else see it, man. And I've always been so proud and impressed by the way that you just, you don't take not near piece of shit from not nobody. I don't care if they famous or not. I want to ask you, how do you think that has helped guide you in what you've done as far as comedy is concerned? Because I definitely think bravery, whether you were gay, black or otherwise, your bravery has always been my favorite thing. Oh, man. wow. You've just been one of the bravest motherfuckers I've ever met. You know, I, I had that conversation because, you know, I'm also very not spiritual in a religious sense, but spiritual in a in a be on your yeah. purpose. And, and I was having that conversation. I right. said, I get tired of being brave sometimes, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I, Talk since I was a kid, mm. I, I never was supported. You know, I listen to people mm. talk about, well, oh, I had a supported family or, and we need to talk about this, you know, or my parents were loving or, and I didn't come from any of that. So I had to be brave at home. And so I think the fact that my family, they were my adversaries. When I went out to the world, I knew I could take on anybody. Damn. So help us put that into context for any gay listener that's dealing with that now. Yeah. What were some of your coping mechanisms? You know, we don't even have to, shit, man. You didn't gave us an hour worth of shit to unpack, bro. How do you manage the relationships with your family now? And what advice would you give to people in your community that have had similar emotional abandonment, you know, in their formative years. Oh, fuck their husbands. No, I'm just playing. I'm playing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be serious over here and all yeah. thoughtful. I knew it. I saw it coming. I saw it coming. I saw it coming. I love it. I got a girlfriend. Hey, hey, I like that, dude. I like that. Hey, Samson, let me ask it like this. Let me ask the same question. After you performed at the White House under Obama, like after the, what, fourth, fifth time, how did your family react then to what you was doing? Oh, um, people people do treat you a little differently, but once you have been, and I don't say this to sound sad. I'm not being sentimental or, mm-hmm. uh, or, or cathartic. I'm just saying when you have been discarded for who you are, you learn to not share those type of moments with people because you know they don't love you for you. They love you mm. for how you make them look or feel. And I'm not an object, mm. I am Talk a person. And so if being a black gay man has taught me anything, it has taught me, one, how to be compassionate to other people because I know what it feels like to be thrown away. And so it makes you that much more loving towards other people. And then number two, you really develop a strong sense of self. And you don't base that on anybody else but you. Samson, talk about the strength in your name. Oh, shit. Um, (laughs) 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 I'm just there to be strong, you know, and and it's scary to be strong. It is scary in, in every sense of that whether that means unlearning things that you were taught growing up, you know, because black folks, we raise our kids in a lot of fear, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. we have to unlearn a lot of that, you know, and that includes unlearning lies about yourself, you know, the the limiting beliefs that we have. And comedy has been huge with that for me. I think if you can laugh at anything, you can overcome it. Amen. So before you was dealing with 
getting cracked on by some of DC's greats. And then they pull you aside after the show and give you some inspiration after cracking on you for being gay and <laughs> cleaning it up and making it all inspiring. Before all of that, before you were at the Smithsonian as the first LGBTQ comedian to ever perform inside the walls of that institution, before you performed Stamp. at the Howard Theater, before the Kennedy Stamp. Center for the Performing Arts, before Harvard University shows. Oh, yes. <laughs> you was at motherfucking Starbucks. <laughs> and you was running them scams? Or you seen them scams? Samson? Yes. Let us know what was going down in the land of coffee beans. Oh, hell. Because I don't really see how, what, ain't shit you can steal, but all them snacks in the fucking cooler up front after they go stale and write them off as waste. Am I missing some scams at the Starbucks? You can, do that. You can steal out the cash register, too. Um, I'm playing. I, I saw it happen. I saw it happen. No, he ain't. He ain't. <laughs> there you go. You ain't do it, but you might have seen it happen. <laughs> But uh, it's of course, you know, you you do the stuff like hook your friends up. I actually, I actually was working at Starbucks part time and doing comedy at night. You know, getting on Greyhound, going up to New York, coming back to DC. And, what you know about that dog, baby? Keep going. Yeah, it was it was wild, you know. Um, and so, actually, the the frustration because, for instance, um, performing at the White House having you know, the vice president, before he became, he done lost his mind now, but before all that happened, you know, come up to you and go, that was Shout out to good Biden. comedy. Um, and then you go back to mm-hmm. work the next morning and have somebody call you a retarded motherfucker for not making enough phone on their coffee. Mm. You know, you the swing. You be what in under twelve hours. Huh? The second highest mm. elected official in the nation and then hey you dumb motherfucker, we're yeah. gonna put that goddamn phone <laughs> in my shit. Right. That's all the phone you got? They didn't teach you this at Starbucks school? Let me show me your manager. <laughs> Ooh, Karen. Where was it at? Uh I worked at two of them, twenty second and M Street and then fourteenth and P Street. The fourteenth and P Street was hard because that was the white gays. And you know white gays don't like black gays. Mm. So we would be in there fighting. Really? Hell no. I didn't know that. Break that down for our listeners who don't understand what you just said. They're still white men. You know, they just happen to be white men who sleep with other white men or they sleep with black men as a fetish. But racism in the gay community is real. So that's why black gay people always tell black people who are homophobic. We are still black first because we still deal with the same shit. All the other black people deal with and even in the gay community. Wow. Forgive me if I'm asking an ignorant question. I just never lived in D.C. Was this a Starbucks on a gay side of town? Yes. Okay. And so then you're dealing with white gay men who come in. Hey, you gay Negro. Hey, you gay nigger. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I could just be a nigger, sir. You didn't have to yeah. add gay on top of it. the gay part. I just... Nigga right, suffice. Well, gotta... That was enough. Yeah. Mm. So, can you still? Mm. Did you ever steal coffee beans? Like, what else are people doing in the Starbucks, man? What are they? What? Because, like, I guess you could just if I order a small, you could make me a large. There's no checks and balances on the milk. Oh, right? I used to fuck people up. So I got tired of people coming in there talk, talking to me like I was crazy. So say some, and I would, I would, I would pay attention to each customer. I would ask some questions and stuff. The nastier they got, the nicer I would get. You know, the nicer mm. I would get. So if they came in uh-huh. at night, you know, and they were like, um, you know, oh, I gotta, you know, they, you know, hurry up and make my coffee. Oh, I'm so sorry, ma'am. Whatever, whatever. What are you doing tonight? 
oh, well, I got to go work my job. So I would give them decaf. Now they're up in there. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, Samson. You know, you know, uh, they would want soy milk. I would put a little whole milk up in there. Not enough to kill them, but just enough to fuck them up. Just enough. Um, (laughs) Just just give them a dollop. I'd be like, well, how lactose intolerant are you? Oh, I'm very dollop right up in there. Mm. (laughs) He said a dollop. Just enough to make them shit. It's a fart, not shit. No, I would want them shit. Mm. Oh. Yeah, I was going. I was. I was thinking you were going for shark moves. Really, I, I was thinking you were ruining pants on the. If fire. I did, that, that's where I'm better. at. It should be wet. I I have a, a sidebar question. I wonder if you took advantage of any of the Starbucks benefits for employees, and if they were any good. Oh yeah, they had great benefits back then. When I found out about them, I used them to quit. So they were great. You know, they had. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I had stocks. I took the stocks and I quit with those stocks. Um, and then I stole a whole bunch of coffee coupons because you could use those to get coffee or food. So I said, you know, if comedy's a little slow, that's where I'm gonna go get my meals. And I did that uh, for the first year after I quit. Nice. I ain't Say it, man. For a I full year? Yeah, I stole. They, That's respect. They used to give the coupons to customers. They, it's basically rewarding horrible behavior. So the, the worse the customer acts, the oh. more coupons you give them. And so they had these little brown coupons, and I stole about 200 of them. And, you know, I would sell them to people. I would, I would give them to friends. They lasted me for a long time. I'm still stuck on gay racism. Like, you know, you know, it's a thing, but I ain't never had nobody just sit down and just go, here's what happened. Here's how it goes. I'm like, oh, yeah, especially the gay ones, um, you know, because they going out to party. And so they stopping in to get caffeine. And I'm like, you ain't going to have a good time tonight. And are you lactose intolerant? <laughs> yes. And you can be like, well, you ain't going to have a date either now. So but I'm going to leave that alone. I'm gonna leave that alone. Samson, don't say it, but just shake your head yes or no. Are you My fucking thing is breaking up a little bit. It's breaking up a little bit. What you say? Uh-huh. The connection is a little rickety. What you say? Thank you. The website is SampsonComedy.com. SampsonComedy.com. All of his socials is there. All of his tour dates are there. Y'all holler at that, Brother Sampson. Thank you so much for coming on the job fair. Thank you for doing what you do, not just with your stand-up comedy, but for being brave for a lot of people who are probably low-key quietly watching you Mm -hmm. and are following your example. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Love you, Young. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you, Young. After the break... How you can make a little money on the activism side. See, that's what we finally need to know, sir. We got to know how you make money doing activism. I still ain't seen no motherfucker balling in the club off of marching. I want to major in white guilt and go back to college. Then that way I'll figure this all out. If you major in white guilt in college, it's like philanthropy. And then that way they just give you shit when they feel bad. I like that plan. This is a job fair. We'll be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. 
smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Job fair. Bring it in home. Pride Month, JG. We have Ash with us, and Ash is the DEI lead at the Mini, and that's an independent advertising agency based in Los Angeles. And they've been involved in building and fostering diverse creative spaces within multiple agencies. And they're passionate about equitable and inclusive mm-hmm. programs within the creative industry that allow everyone to be their authentic selves and advance in their career. Welcome, Ash. Hi. Ash. Hi, so from the DE&I standpoint, let's start there, Ash. How do you breach these conversations mm-hmm. with companies on how to go about this the right way? Because... As you as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, I know that y'all y'all been getting hit with the napkins and the ice cream and shit way before Juneteenth. I shit just started dropping after George Floyd. So how do you all approach, what is your company's approach in breaching this conversation with companies on how not to step in the woke turds? So I think the first thing is to have that very tough conversation. I, I feel like that's that's the fine line. There are companies that are ready and willing to have the conversation to be like, okay, like whatever we're doing ain't working. So, you know, consultant, like talk to me. What, what what's up? And I'm the I act as the the impartial person, right? I've only been in this space for, you know, a, a moment. Um, I do my due diligence of you know, talking to the people that are most impacted, um, which are predominantly BIPOC employees, as well as folks from LGBTQIA+, um, disability, um, even parents. Parents is also like a demographic of diversity that people often don't like big, like consult with or figure that out. Um, and Yeah, a lot of parents are old school. Yeah. They ain't with this new age and trying to learn. Yeah, yeah I try to in at least our company um, with our parent group, I also try to make space for caregivers in general. Um, and that it also encompasses LGBTQIA plus people too, because there are people, you know, I'm non-binary and I'm not a mom or a dad, but I, I, I do see myself becoming a parent one day. And so where do I fit into that whole, that whole model too? Um, it, it, you know, it's having those tough conversations. And a lot of those conversations are from, you know, personal experiences that I've had. Um, and then the experiences that I hear from the people that again are who are impacted. And what I try to do is like put it in this nice, neat story that's like, hey, this is where your employees are at right now, and this is what you got to do to to move the needle. 
Um, some people want to listen to it and some people don't. And the people that don't, like, it, they don't get very far. I feel like when there are people who are attempting to learn and educate themselves about something new, mistakes mm. are sometimes made. Mm. And sometimes those mistakes are perceived and framed as deliberate or malicious. They are for sure ignorant, but the intent is never assessed when it comes to deciding on the punishment. Like it's no different Jacqueline than when you have say, I'll give you the scenario that happened. So we have a member of the job fair staff. This is, and JG was CC'd on this email. So she can vouch that this happened. And I inadvertently misgendered a non-binary member of our team on the email. And this is after they've told me, they told me and they've told me and I've I, I combed through the email looking for every she and her and just get it out of there. I And I just missed one. I fucking missed one. And as soon as I hit send, I saw it and there was nothing I could do. And so, you know, I apologized profusely. We had a dialogue about it. And fortunately, and but she was cool about it, Jacqueline. Mm-hmm. She was yep. cool about it. They were cool. About, see what I'm saying? You see what I just did? Just that. But you caught yourself. And But that's what I'm saying. So there is a growth curve that has to happen as we learn new things. And that I think is just natural. It is just human nature. How does an employer create an atmosphere for learning and growth with their staff that is in this community? Is there room for grace as you learn? Because... Mm-hmm. If this was a bigger corporation, if they wanted to, JG, they could have said, y'all misgendered me. I ain't like the way I feel. Lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. There can be scenarios where intent has mm. no place in the That's conversation. Yeah, the offense uh-huh. is the offense. Right. So how does an employer create an atmosphere that is warm while also hopefully getting some grace and being understood that their intentions are were genuine? They really were. They just missed it that time yeah i think we need to be real clear about or remind ourselves that no matter what the intent is there is still going to be a varying amount of impact fair Mm. absolutely Mm. so whether it was like oh i'm sorry i misgendered you that one time that could have been the 10th misgender of the day Mm. and jacqueline i know you we at the beginning of this we talked about um me being misgendered um and why i didn't correct you and i think where that comes into play a lot, especially as a queer trans person, is that I get misgendered every day. And um, mm-hmm. and among other things, right? That's just like the lowest level. That's like the easiest microaggression I think somebody can commit against a, a trans non-binary person. Um, but I think at varying points, I have just different amounts of energy to give to educate. And th- the same way that other communities you know, get tapped to educate a person. Like I, I don't I, at this point, yes, it might directly impact me, but like, again, I might've already done the due diligence of educating some person, uh, somebody today. Right. And I'm, Cause black people yeah. be the first one to say, go read a book, go do the work. Don't yeah. ask me. It's I'm tired. I'm like, yeah, I'll give the speech because that's Sleep. my job. But like, <laughs> I'm tired. I do DNI all day. So sometimes I'm like, look, if it's really going to bother me, I will, I will be happy to correct you. You know, either, either, or though, I, I feel like, when we can be intentional, like, mm. and, you know, try to do the good thing and be conscientious, that's all we're asking for. You're not going to get it right the first time. Respect. It's a lot of deconditioning that we, that has been ingrained in us since the fucking day we were born, maybe before that, right? My son checks me on people's pronouns. Like, it's not, he's 10. 
Um, and he has no problem real quick checking me on people's pronouns. He checked people in school uh, last year during Pride Week to the point that they made him an example because, you know, Ralph was like, What's, you can't tell women that they can't do stuff. I'm going to be on the women's team just because y'all said so. Ralph is not, He's he will check. He's quick. And I and I wouldn't raise like that. Like they're, the, the kids are being raised in a different culture. I'm, 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 I'm with Roy, Ash. I definitely want to hear more about, as a parent, how we can help do more with our kids. Our kids are educating us while we're trying to educate them. It's, it's deep. Yeah, what's the workplace that our that the next generation of children are headed into, Ash? Ugh, I I don't know. It's a mixed bag right now, honestly. Um, I want to say, mm. here's the thing. With, with the kids now these days, and I say that like as somebody who used to be a kid not too long ago, uh, mm. I, they are far more progressive and far more fluid and far more yeah. less likely to deal with bullshit. Like they, like yeah. kids are like, they got yes. their receipts. They're going to yes. hold you accountable. They're going to tell you like it is. And they're not afraid of, of anything yes. at this point. Not one bit. And that fearlessness I think bit. is going to be a lot of what pushes us forward. What are some of the biggest mistakes mm. that companies make? Or what are some of the things, what are the things that companies could do that would be most beneficial to creating an atmosphere that is warm to members of your community? Mm. First one, be empathetic, lead human. Like you got to be human about this stuff. It's not about quotas. It's not about, you know, the diversity numbers or any of that. It's, it's about like what your people are feeling at the end of the day. And even if you don't think that makes you money, it does. It does inadvertently. It makes better work. Uh, you attract better clients. Like there's, there's so much to that. Well, respect. To I can't you thank you enough for the work that you're doing. Thank you for coming on yeah. the show, giving us a, little bit of straightening. I did want to. They are the DE. Oh, oh, go I ahead. did want to plug something because I also have a new project coming out. Go ahead. Go ahead. I wanted to quickly shout out. Um, we yes. are. I say we because it's a group of friends who are all trans, non-binary, um, BIPOC folks who are in creative industries. We're getting together to do a podcast called The Yesification Of. And so think of it as like a kiki okay. with purpose. Like, you know, it's a good time. You know, we're going to spill some tea. Um, you know, okay. there's a lot of like the, the first one that we're yes, coming out with is um, on advocacy, and we'll be talking about Kendrick Lamar's auntie song. Um, so it's gonna be spicy. We have a lot That's of thoughts. High heat. Yeah, it's um, high heat right there. Yeah. It's high heat. It, it'll also roll into some J Dave Chappelle stuff too, because yesification okay yeah because kendrick lamar on that new album i know he dropped the f-bomb a couple times on that track and he didn't say fuck i'm not talking about that word mm -hmm. uh and chappelle that we would have to do a very special episode to unpack chappelle and the relationship or lack thereof with your community uh we look forward to that podcast um if ever you want me to be on yes. god damn it i'm there yes. god damn it i'm there the yassification of uh, is the podcast. They are the DE&I lead at the Mini, and they are working to make sure that companies create a culture that is inclusive to everybody, even, even if you're a company that accidentally serves some of that Walmart gay pride ice cream, there is redemption for you if you just have good intentions. Ash, we cannot thank you enough for being a part of the job thing. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank y'all. Have a good one. You too. Thank you.
That's the show. Royce Job Fair is a product of iHeartMedia, Paramount, and South Park and Princeton Productions. Whew, we did it, JG. We did it. We did a Pride Week. Say that like we're not going to do it. Big bucks, no webbies. Big bucks, no webbies. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Big bucks, I'm, no I, when you're talking about when you're talking about a community, I, I don't want this episode to be the gay pride ice cream. You hear what I'm saying? Like, I didn't want this week to be the, hey, since it's your, it's gay month, it's time to have a gay episode. No, let's have people on this shit. Big, big ups to the homie Danny Fernandez. That's the show. See y'all next week. We're talking artists. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now.